Hello, my name is Declan Deneen, welcome to Checkpoints. This is a show about video games, the people who play them and the people who make them. Each episode of guests on the show talks about the games that have shaped their life in one way or another. Games that have inspired them, games that have forged connections, and games that have soothed wounds. I'm very excited to welcome to the show today Zach Barth, the uh, founder and the creative director of Zachtronics, who have created some of, uh, genuinely some of, I think, of the best games ever, pretty much. Uh, games like Space Cam, Infinifactory, and uh, their most recent Opus Magnum, which has genuinely lost me, uh, I think, days of my life at this point. Um, but in, in a brilliant way, it was really weird. Like, I mentioned it in the show, like, I played Space Cam when it came out, but... Um, I hadn't played Infinifactory just because my Mac didn't run it very well, but um, Opus Magnum, I was like, oh, this looks, this looks good. I really like Space Cam. I'll try I'll give this a go. And it's just consumed my life. And it, in the best way, though, it's it's kind of like I hadn't played like a, a kind of a new puzzle game, I guess, for so long. And it was, oh, man, I, I love this. I love games like this. It was a real, yeah, it was just like a reminder of kind of the, the pure joy of like a game and a mechanic and a puzzle you know, there's so many games like this. I mean, this show, we really go deep on, like, what's wrong with modern video games that, you know, old men uh, shout at clouds. Um, we're not old. Uh, but still, there's a lot of chat here about kind of, essentially, how Zach has kind of fallen out of love with, with video games. And uh, he raises a lot of uh, points that I think are, are totally valid and kind of in the way that games are now way broader than they ever were, but they're also still kind of very narrow, you know? Um, it's a really interesting chat. I was I was a little bit nervous going into it because when when I'd emailed uh, Zach originally, he seemed to be like he kind of warned me up front that he's like you know I don't I won't have a lot of games to talk about um, and you know I'm not sure that I really love games that much anymore. Um, but I needn't have worried. It was it's it's a really excellent chat. Um, really thoroughly uh, enjoyed it, and I'm sure you will too. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with the show, as always, you can. It's checkpointspodcast at gmail.com or it's at checkpointshow on Twitter or it's checkpointspodcast on Facebook. It's very important to have consistent branding. If you enjoy the show, please do consider leaving a rating or review on iTunes or whatever podcasting app that you use. Um, I, there's still very few and far between, despite me saying this every week, admittedly, to the point where you kind of you hear it so much you don't really hear it, you know? Um, but it really helps, and it helps sort of grow the audience And as they're sharing it around on social media and things like that, or just telling someone in real life. If you really enjoy the show, there's a Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash checkpoints. Any and all donations are very gratefully received and go back into making the show as good as it possibly can be. Um, I might, they might not, I was going to say, you know, I'll be back next week with a new episode and a new show. I don't know if there'll be an episode next week because I have a really crazy busy week. Um, but maybe there will be. I don't know. If I have time to edit it, there will be. Either way, I'll be back in a week or two. Let's get on with the show. So, uh, Zach, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for, for coming on. I'm very excited to chat. If you don't mind, would you introduce yourself? Yeah, so I'm Zach Barth. I'm the creative director at Zachtronics. Um, we have made a bunch of games, uh, mostly puzzle games, and most recently Opus Magnum. 
I have uh, Opus Magnum has kind of ruined my productivity for this week. So, um, <laughs> we do that to a lot of people, it turns out. It's it's so weird. It's it's actually like I, I was really into Space Chem when it came out, um, and I didn't play Infinifactory yet because I've got like an old Mac and it doesn't run 3D very well. But I was really <laughs> excited to to try um, Opus Magnum, uh, and it's it gave me this experience that I haven't had since I was a kid, which I have mentioned on the show before, which uh, like totally lost game time where I'm like, how, how on earth has that been three hours? Like, I just turn it <laughs> on for a quick go, which is the best and worst type, type of thing. It's, it really just it draws me in in a way that sort of so few games have in recent memory. Like, is that, is that part, of, part of your design principle? Let's, let's just oh, no, really that is suck people entirely in. entirely an accident. It's, it's not, I mean, it's, it's like the, what the game is is up to me, but what, like, beyond that, like, what the game is to the people who play it is not up to me. Yeah, Right, absolutely. and I think that's the challenge of design, is that you're sort of, like, attempting to remotely manipulate the players, but, like, through the most indirect way possible. Um, and especially, like, our, I suppose some people are, are better at making things that manipulate the players in the way they want them to, um, and certainly with, like, emotional cues and cinematics and things that are not interactive, but, like, we just kind of throw some mechanics out there and see what happens and uh, so any <laughs> any enjoyable parts of opus magnum are entirely by accident and possibly like overall like process that we apply but yeah I, it's funny actually even even when i was playing opus magnum and this was sort of after we'd sort of developed it i was just playing it just for fun which is uncommon with our own games um I, I would like lose an hour to be like, wow, like an hour just disappeared. But like, I was just trying to make that that solution faster. It's like that's that's weird. That usually doesn't happen when no, I'm playing I, my I, own game. I'm usually like, I think I genuinely do think it is a testament to the to the design of it. In that, like, I'm usually especially because I'm like I'm a writer, so I'm I'm essentially freelance. So I'm very conscious of of my time. So even when I'm enjoying a game, I'm still kind of half watching the clock because I'll probably have something <laughs> I should be doing instead. But this just completely, like, a real kind of zone, like, until I'd solved that puzzle, I wasn't thinking about anything else. Um, I think it's also part, partly because of the, the kind of the, the, the sort of brain power it, it, it takes, you know. It's, it's a really, like, it's one of my favorite things about, about your games is how smart they make you feel. You know, they, they, there's few games as, as rewarding, you know. Yeah. I I'm think sure that must actually... be um, in part of, like, what you're, you're, you're aiming for, you know. Again, it's just sort of an accident, right? Like, it actually, like, games that, games, oh, God, well, we've tried making so many different games over the years, so we've been doing this for, like, I've been making games almost, like, professionally for almost, like, ten years, and I've tried making a bunch of different games. I've tried making sandbox games. I've tried making things with different mechanics than the games we usually end up making, but... Like the, one of the things that bugs me lately, especially, are games that, like, you just do normal game stuff that's not very hard, and it's just like, oh my god, you're the best. Oh, you're so good at this. Look at all the, look at all these trees <laughs> you chopped down. And it's just like, you should not feel proud of having done that, right? Like, it didn't really, you know, and even puzzle games are guilty of this a lot. Like, they, they give you this, like, interesting puzzle where you can't see the solution, but then they, like, sort of, like, guide you straight towards the solution. And it's like, how how clever can you really feel about, like, solving something like that you know like if you solve a puzzle in portal like it's you know it's the greatest puzzle game ever made but if you solve a puzzle in portal like you were meant to and i mean one thing that we can say about our games not even that it's intentional it's just the thing that i do which is that like our, our puzzles are not designed to be solved they just are 
and if you can solve them, cool, right? And it turns out, you know, we try not to ship puzzles that can't be solved. We try not to ship puzzles that are, like, just too difficult to, to find a solution for. But I think coming coming at it from that angle where it's like, I don't care if you can solve this or not. But in reality, <laughs> I do, obviously. But, you know, pretending that I don't care whether you can solve it or not makes it really easy for me to create these puzzles that are so open-ended that they can have a zillion different solutions. Because I wasn't trying to get you to solve it. I was just trying to present, like, an interesting challenge. That's really interesting, and and like, as much as I sort of I said to you previously that like I'm not a, a designer because I'm not a designer in, in any way. Like I couldn't help but think of things like that when playing like Space Cam and Opus Magnum. This idea that because you know it's, it's been kind of written about a lot, and I'm sure you've mentioned this in various talks and interviews that you know one of the the kind of core ideas at the heart of a lot of the kind of Zachtronics games is you are not presenting. Uh, you're discovering a solution rather than finding a solution, yeah? So yeah. And so there's multiple different versions of it. And you mentioned, you know, that you don't like to ship games that can't have unsolvable puzzles. So is that just, is it like kind of the, the Mario Maker kind of uh, format of you ha- someone has to solve it before you can add it to the game? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's, that's just the, I, that's basically the only, only way to tell. <laughs> Even that we could probably do with, I don't know, we could probably get rid of that, but it's really easy to implement, so it seems like a good idea. But surely, like, there must be part of you that's like, oh, hang on, give me, give me a few more days, like, someone will crack this one, or is it just an ongoing part of the whole process? Oh, like, with our puzzles? Yeah, or... with your puzzles. Oh, I mean, they're all, they're all pretty playable. I mean, we, we try to play test our games now. We're trying no, to of be a course lot more you play to, you know what I mean, yeah, yeah. Than we used to be, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're all pretty solvable. It, it I guess just, I don't understand your question. <laughs> I, I think my my point is that you know that the I I can't really because I I'm not I, I I'm not a designer. I don't see where how you even begin to design those games. Do you know what I mean? Like oh yeah, I, it's easy. I can tell you. So <laughs> okay, well, that's they all good. start. They all start with the tools, right? So you make a, you know, you, like we, we sort of like eyeball like a, a set of tools that seems like they interact in interesting ways together and sort of allow a certain kind of task to be accomplished. And then once you have the set of tools, you just create a set of puzzles that ask people to do stuff that you sort of suspect can be accomplished with those tools. And so like for, for Opus Magnum in particular, like we, we came up with a lot of ideas for arms and like the, you know, that kind of led to thinking like we, we started sort of, you know, with the, the codex, like the flash game that it's sort of based off of from like 10 years ago that yeah. I made. Um, so obviously we start with arms, but then we sort of like broke down and thought about like, well, what makes the arms interesting? Like they can rotate, they can grab, they can rotate the things they're holding, they can extend and retract. And actually in a, in a very early version of Opus Magnum, you had to pick and choose those aspects of arms yourself. So you had to choose like what kind of claw was on the end of an arm and like what kind of base was it on. And it was really tedious and awful, but that ended up coming into the game in the form of just two arms that you've got ones that can extend and ones that can't, right? And then uh, tracks seemed like a pretty fun addition. Uh, had no idea if it was going to work well for the game, but it seemed like a good idea, and so we added it. And then I sat down, knowing those mechanics and knowing like a, uh, we you know like we had a list of atoms that we sort of brought over from uh, from the codex and then manipulated to make them more interesting. There was a, a property in the codex where. A lot of times there were these three atoms you just had to cycle between them and it was really boring and like every puzzle asked you to do it so when i look back at like the old puzzles that i'd made it was like oh god these are these are terrible <laughs> right like why why is why do we keep asking them to do the same dumb thing over and over again so we we changed the atoms to remove uh, that being a thing that you do um and then i sat down i, I have a thing that I, one of my fun personal quirks is that when i'm designing puzzles i'll print out like a, a worksheet like i'll design like a worksheet and then print out like 50 copies of it and then just sit down and just start drawing 
puzzles. Like I, I refuse to design puzzles on a computer. It, uh, it just lacks like the, the tactile feedback that I need. So what, what so is I the made... worksheet? Is it like a, like a piece of graph paper or, or like yeah, basically so print on it? Yep, exactly. So for uh, for Opus Magnum, it was basically just a hex grid, but I, I had to put all the uh, the elemental symbols at the bottom because I had a hard time remembering them at first. <laughs> so it's um, oh god, I scanned them. I don't think I uploaded them. We were thinking about doing like a book of like design documents, but then oh, I looked so at it cool. again and it's like, well, then I was like, these are really boring looking. <laughs> so maybe we'll see if that happens. But um, but yeah, they're they're just sort of a hex grid with like a puzzle name at the top, and and I just sort of like scribble stuff on it. It's cool because then I can like or, you can sort pieces of paper really easily, yeah. and you can like I, I tacked them up on the wall in our conference room so I could see all of them like at, at a glance and kind of get a feel for it. Um, oh, and that's just sort amazing. of I for for making computer games, I hate computers. Like I, <laughs> I I love computers as an idea, but like from like a I don't know. They they deny you a lot of things that you can do in the real world, like tacking up a bunch of you know papers on the wall and reordering them physically, and and I, I think that's really fun. And it's like a, it's a good way for me to like engage my creative thinking process. But anyway, Absolutely. getting my puzzles. Yeah. So I sat down with a bunch of pieces of paper and then just like made a bunch of puzzle ideas. And so um, I didn't even like we kind of played the game. Like you kind of really can't play a game until you know what like the puzzles are going to be. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, I just designed a bunch of stuff that looked doable, and, like, some of them were, like, way harder than I thought, right? And, like, some of them, with Opus Magnum, we tried to, like, the mechanics kind of pushed it towards being easier to solve a puzzle, so we tried to, like, really lean into that and not ask, like, ridiculous things right away of our players. Um, but, yeah, they were just sort of like, here's 30 ideas for puzzles, you know, and then I started entering them into the engine and trying to play them, and uh, it just kind of worked out, right? I mean, like, like, that's... I guess that doesn't really tell you how to make a game like this, no, no, but that really doesn't. is that really is our process, right? Is that like I, I feel like I have a good like I don't have a lot of things that I'm I'm good at, <laughs> but one of the one of my special abilities maybe is like uh, having an intuitive grasp of, of like tool sets and sort of like what you ought to be able to do with these tool sets and like what kind of basic properties will emerge from them. Yeah, I, just I, sort of having a feel for like how solvable something would be. I find that so that fascinating I, though, like you, you, this kind of. For a game that feels like for all of all of your games, like they feel so so mechanically tight, like to have such a kind of freewheeling <laughs> approach to the design, and like we just go by feel. I just find this a really interesting contrast, like for yeah. the, the process of making it to to what the actual game feels like to play. It feels like a perfect set of uh, you know tools, <laughs> basically that you've just been like, oh, we'll just play it by ear, we're just winging it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think two two things. If you look at Space Chem, you can really see the cracks in this the strategy because <laughs> yeah. Space Chem had some crazy stuff. And again, like we still play tested like almost all of that game, <laughs> um, and and you can see some places where like there were some things that we had to make easier or change because they were just too crazy and too hard. But um, like that game in general, like the, the extreme difficulty of Space Chem was just sort of having like really not caring about how hard it was. Um, and maybe a little bit of designing for players that we thought were really hardcore. So that was sort of what led Space Game. Like, you kind of get, like, a random result when you do it. Yeah. Um, even if there's a refinement, like, manual refinement. Um, I forgot what my other point was going to be. But it must not have been important. <laughs> It'll come back. Um, well, Zach, I'm going to attempt to sort of track this a little bit and go back. Um, and if you can remember, what was your, your very first experience of a video game? Oh, that's most of these questions I'm going to have terrible answers for. But that one I actually do know. So okay. I'm pr the first video game that I remember playing was the original Duke Nukem. Like for PC. Like the 2D like platformer one. Oh, not okay. the 3D 
one. Like the the one back before it got weird and like misogynist and manly, and he was just like a dude <laughs> jumping around with like a like a weird little like laser gun thing. And like my my father must have like found like one of the first like because it was shareware, right? So yeah. like hypothetically, the first episode was free, but in, in practice, I you know at least for me, you'd buy it off like some shady dude who made floppy copies at like a computer show. And so, like, he came back from a computer show or something with, like, a, a Duke Nukem disc, and he was playing it. And I, I, it's kind of funny, because looking back, like, my father never played video games ever. <laughs> but he was playing Duke Nukem, and I was like, whoa, what is this? What is this What is this thing that you're playing it on? Like, what? what is this game? Like, that was, it was pretty, it really captured my imagination. And so, like, I lived with my mother at the time, and so, like, we didn't even have a computer. And so, like, I guess, like, I didn't really know what, like, computers were then and that was sort of like my first introduction i guess to like computers and computer gaming oh that's amazing so just all at once you had this kind of magical machine i must have known what computers were before that but like that really like that that definitely stands out as being like the first like like game video game that i played and it was really like it really captured my imagination um because uh when i went back home i like i had a desk from ikea made this really dope kids desk in like the 90s or whatever where um it was uh it had like a roll of butcher paper that you could just pull across the top of the table and you just draw straight on it and you just pull more when you're done and so like obviously this is the perfect format for designing levels and so like i tried like drawing out like levels for platformers which i guess like i haven't gotten any better since i was like six or whatever because i (laughs) suck at level design that is just not a thing i know how to do but but i tried right and i would i that was like a thing like all through my childhood like trying to design like like levels for you know, like a hypothetical platformer, and like I was really into like Mighty Max and like little miniature toys, and so you could like put the miniature toys like into the level as as bad guys and Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. So, yeah, so there was a lot of that, I guess, when I was. And that was obviously before I knew how to program. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I mean, like, yeah, and so that was the first video game I played. That's crazy. I I used to do a very similar thing actually. I would do, which in retrospect, I never really linked it to sort of video games, but I'm sure it had an effect. I used to. It would essentially be like a comic book, but everything would exist in a single space. Like I would draw like a base on a map and essentially oh, like yeah, a 2D yeah. design and then just sort of play out all the events of this sort of story in my head. So yeah. in the end, it looked like they were just hundreds of people, but they were all kind of distinct moments that I had drawn. If you had like an animatic of it, it'd be a very, very, very bad cartoon, but it would play out like a video game almost. Yeah, we, I mean, I, honestly, all through, like, my early childhood, we, like, me and my friends used to do lots of stuff. We had, like, I mean, like, I guess it, I mean, like, I, now looking back, I would say, like, that is absolutely, like, video game design thinking, right? Yeah. Because, like, there's so many tropes of video games that sort of, like, bled into what we were doing. But, yeah, we would draw, like, these huge battlescapes and, like, say, like, oh, no, this is, like, the style of this, this one force versus another. So, you know, just, like, kind of recreating what we were seeing in video games, but, like, with the tools that we had, because certainly none of us knew how to program in, like, third grade. Yeah. So... Yeah, so I, I definitely, there are lots of, I would say that was like a theme of my childhood is that like, I, I got very, like right now as a designer, I'm very much into like mechanics. Like it's kind of obvious looking at the games that we make. Absolutely. But like I'm a very mechanics minded designer. And before I ever built games, I was doing things that like imitated game mechanics and were like, like based on rules, even though like those rules were never enforced by anything. And like, it, it just like permeated everything I did was very like rules and systems based and then like finally when you know i started programming like in basic when i was in like fifth grade and and just sort of kept programming poorly ever since (laughs) and and finally being able to implement systems that it made a lot more sense 
you know, being able to do that. But even before I could program, like I've always been like a systems designer. <laughs> <laughs> and was like, you say so it got into basic a bit later. Was that kind of, aside from Mad Max, not Mad Max, Duke Nukem, like did that kind of inspire you to seek out more games or was it because you said you didn't oh. have one at home with your, your mom or we, like we got a very, I got a computer very quickly after, okay, okay. <laughs> after that. Yeah, I've, I've played basically like every PC shareware game that you could find. We For some reason, nobody ever like told me like, you can buy games, you know? I mean, I guess <laughs> I guess because games were expensive and we didn't have the money. Yeah. But like I, I played pretty much every, like all the, the PC shareware games, like the Apogee games and like Commander Keen was like, I, I really liked Commander Keen. Couldn't play it for shit, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I like all that kind of stuff. And was that like a, a kind so, of social thing as well, though? Like, was that was this something that you were just interested in, or do you have brothers and sisters, or like a friend group that you would play with as well? So I don't have any siblings. Um, for the most part, like I, I mean, like now everybody uses computers. But growing up, like I was like the computer guy, which I think is not that uncommon for like people no, in my peer group, right? Like you were the one weirdo who really liked computers, and <laughs> and so like that was like all my friends had. It was funny, like my my parents wouldn't buy me um, like video game consoles, like because they thought they were bad for you. But then like I had computer games. And like in <laughs> retrospect, they were totally right. Like video games and like a console just encourages like passive consumption, but like computers are a tool for creation. And so like I'm you know, like they were totally right. Like the PC the PC is infinitely better than a game console. But all my friends had game consoles and like I was kinda jealous of that. But I, I had my computer with my weird computer games and that, that was okay for me. <laughs> no, I mean that that's definitely like a running um theme of the show. It it tends to be like because this is a joke that I've run into the ground now, but it does seem that everyone in America seemingly were kind of given a Nintendo Entertainment System at some point, like a government <laughs> program or something. But certainly, like, the people who grew up on consoles, they kind of... The realization that games were made by people and were things that you could make came much later to those who kind of grew up with PC games because it was just... It was so much easier to get into the workings of them, and you know, especially when things like modding and stuff came around. Oh yeah, and Definitely. so yeah. was that something you were kind of conscious of from quite a young age? Then, like maybe when you were doing basic, that these were things that people made, as opposed to just kind of magical things from Japan or something. I, I guess I, I never really under—I didn't really understand like how you would make a, a real game, but I definitely made like I. There's all sorts of tools for for PC that would let you make games, even if they were nothing like the actual games you were playing. Yeah. And so, like in Basic, you can make command line games. Like the you know obviously games were way past the point of actually being played on a command line um, when I was like growing up and playing video games. But I could certainly make my own game like things in Basic, and like that was good enough. I, I discovered ZZT, you know, like a lot of people, and like you could you could make games in that. Um, I discovered like click and play, which is kind of like Game Maker. It might actually be a predecessor to Game Maker. I'm not sure, but it was basically like a shittier version of Game Maker. If you yeah. can fathom that, <laughs> um, <laughs> it definitely did not have a scripting language in it. It was all like you'd look for like the type object A, object type B. They'd be in like a matrix, and you'd find the point where they intersect, and then you'd like add a behavior for when they touch or something. And everything that that made was just like garbage. But like I was I was impressed. Um, all sorts of tools like that. I mean, I, I think, honestly, like, I, it wasn't even until high school that I really realized it's like, oh, like, the games that I'm, I'm playing and the games that I like are actually made with tools that I could use. And that was like, so I, unfortunately, basic tainted me. And I learned, I went from basic to visual basic and then just sort of languished as like a visual basic developer for, <laughs> for a long time. And it wasn't until like 
11th or 12th grade that like one of my friends was like oh here here's c plus plus i'm like what i'm like okay this is weird this is hard um i, yeah, I do wonder like with that yeah. like uh, given the kind of the the types of, of games that, that you you've now made like do you do you find that do you feel you get the same sort of pleasure from from coding as you do from playing certain games you know that kind of puzzle solving element and it certainly has been a feature of games that you've made as well oh i don't really i don't really like programming <laughs> i mean that's like my my, my skill as a, as a useful person in society i guess is, is as a programmer and that's what i did like when i worked at microsoft as a programmer that's so um, surprising to me was are you being sarcastic <laughs> no i'm not being sarcastic at all no, no i i feel like that you you would be someone who would like really enjoy the kind of act of programming the kind of problem solving oh, aspect of it i mean i guess I guess I technically like it, but I get like I don't quite have like the the stomach to do just programming. And I think that's sort of one of the things that led me into games is that like I can only program about half the time before I just get burnt out and hate it. And I'm not really like I know people who are like good programmers. Like I work with one of them, and like they just have like a different kind of passion for programming. Like I, I my my theory on it is that I like programming as like a, a means to an end. Yeah. Versus like other people legitimately like programming as like the 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 adventure itself. And I'd say all the programmers that have worked at Zactronics other than me are very much like you know, people who enjoy programming as like its own thing. And <laughs> ironically, I would say like our games about programming are stand in contrast to other games with programming and that most games with programming in them are games where you program purely as a, like a means to an end. Yeah. Like, you know, like space engineers or something like you don't even have to program. It's fine to copy someone's code. Like you're just programming to get shit done. Yeah. Uh, versus like our programming games are very much about like programming like is the the thing right like you're not just trying to program to to get to the end of the game because then there'd be nothing there like it's all about the joy of discovering a programming language and discovering how it works and like i'm not even really that kind of programmer but i'm making games for that kind of programmer <laughs> which is kind of strange yeah that, but, that's what i mean that's why i'm so surprised by it yeah i i think it's i think it comes back to the systems thinking thing yeah which is that as a as a systems focused designer which is not really a career in the same way that making you know creating code is but as if, if i can identify as like a systems oriented designer um one thing that I, I do love computers in the abstract and like the the quality is like what makes these computers different from other computers and like what are all the different architectural decisions that like manifest in the way they're programmed and, and stuff like that. And I would never really have the stomach to, to like sit down and like write a program in assembly using like, uh, like, uh, was it? like some, some fancy, like, like Xeon or like, you know, like a non-standard Intel processor, you know, their server processors have conditional execution. I would never sit down and be like, Oh, that would be a fun activity to write a program <laughs> in real assembly doing that. But we can take that idea and then we can turn that into the way that conditionals work in Shenzhen IO. And then it's like, Oh, now I'm excited about it. Cause I've sort of like, I've taken it and I've stripped out all the stuff that I, that just will get in my way and created like yeah. a, a little miniature version of it that expresses the stuff that I think is interesting. I think that's like a lot of our games are based on real life, but notably they're like they aggressively strip away stuff i think is dumb there's a lot of stuff in real engineering that is just like it's it's pointless and dumb and like it from like a like an intellectual activity standpoint it doesn't have to be there in real life maybe it has to be there because they're solving real problems and there's like real constraints but if you're going to make like an intellectual exercise by all means you get rid of the stuff that sucks you know you get rid of the stuff that distracts from like the the point of it all and and that's that's what we try to do with our games and i think that my my and I think that's one of the things that makes me a bad programmer is that like I see that stuff and I just think, God, that's superficial. Why do I have to do this? I don't, I'm not going to bother. Like in my, in my own worlds that I create, I can strip that away and create these like idealized programming experiences. That's amazing. I, 
but I think that resonates with like good programmers too. Absolutely. Um, I, I'm curious, like the, the just hearing the, the way you've kind of described the, describing some of your design process and the, kind of your relationship with computers. Like, um, did you have any relationship with kind of tabletop games and kind of more practical kind of gameplay type oh. things? I feel like you'd be quite drawn to that. Maybe am I wrong about that too? I, I hate board games. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm the only designer I know who hates board games because maybe I'm not a real game designer, but I. Like, okay, so obviously I grew up with, like, terrible board games, like Monopoly and shit, and I was yeah. never that, I was never that really into them. Like, I kind of like games. I, I sort of like games more, honestly, for, like, the tactile aspect of it. Like, I had all these, like, really badly designed games that I really liked, the, like, 13 Dead End Drive or, like, the Grape Escape or whatever. <laughs> like, I don't know if this ring a bell. There are all these games with these, like, elaborate, like, sets like so you you set up like a million pieces on these dumb boards and like like 13 dead and drive is like this whole little cardboard mansion filled with death traps and yeah, like, like I don't... ghost house or ghost castle is that uh, maybe that's a translation but i remember it's a similar yeah. sort of thing it's a spooky house and there's loads of little traps you build into it and stuff yeah so there's there's these kind of board games that have these little sets and i always thought i guess like mouse mousetrap would be a good example that everybody's mm -hmm. actually played these are all like mousetrap derivatives and i always like i love I, I as a child i loved anything that was like a little set so like board games that look like little sets i, I had like a zillion like of those little, little micro machine playset toys things i was into star wars when i was a kid and so they had this like star wars heads that opened up to reveal little sets of like scenes yes. from Star Wars. Oh my God, figures. I hadn't thought about those forever. That was, yes. That was like crack for me. It was amazing. <laughs> and I, again, like I think that ties into like the systems thinking, right? Is that you're creating these little worlds uh, in a video game or in a playset or whatever. And um, yeah, so there, there were games like that. And I, I thought they were cool, but like when you actually go to play them, like they're kind of lousy. They're not very good board games. Years later, I discovered like actual board games right when somebody was like oh you should play Catan this is probably when I was at like Microsoft I was like well into being an adult when I discovered like actual board games honestly I still don't like them everybody's <laughs> like oh they're great social activities it's like no I'm going to be like focused on like reading the rules and destroying you like we don't have time to talk about like how you're doing and yeah I, I'm just bad at board games all my <laughs> friends hate this about me I guess <laughs> again the, this the, the, the I'm so surprised by that, like, given the kind of the, the way you spoke about enjoying the sort of tactile nature of designing puzzles and things like that. Yeah, I love looking at them. I love touching them. I love, like, hearing about the cool ideas and the rules. Playing them is miserable. <laughs> I get so bored, and it's, oh, it's, I don't know. It's just a defect. In, no, in no, me. I don't think so. Like, there's definitely no, something so. <laughs> in that that I can relate to, especially in terms of, like, older games and stuff, and how excited I was about things like Ghost Haste or Mousetrap. Like, I really... Yeah loved them oh, yeah. and i don't, I don't think i ever played them those. at all yeah no one did I, I i don't feel bad about that now like we have games that are actually well designed so you can actually play them but i still can't do that either <laughs> so so like how did your kind of relationship with games change as you you got older then like did you did you ever stop playing games for whatever reason or like have like fall out of love with them or get bored of them oh yeah i mean this has been like a like having a slow motion over like the past 10 years Okay. Like I used, I used to be like I mean I, I once I went to PAX because I was excited about seeing games there, right? <laughs> <laughs> which is like the biggest joke now. Like oh Christ! Like I, I waited in line to play StarCraft two and like put on like a headset that had been on other people's heads. Like oh God! Like I was excited. I was legitimately excited to try it out. You know, and I, there was a time when I was really excited about games and like that is not that time has passed and it's happened in slow motion and i think like up until like very recently i felt really guilty about it 
but it's like honestly like most games do not interest me anymore i think like as somebody who makes games it's really obvious like how many designers rely on just like uh, oh god okay so i'm gonna unwind a second so we we did <laughs> we were designing educational games and we were designing them for somebody else so they were paying us and, and we this was games. zactronics that would do this was zactronics yeah, yeah. And this was uh, for, there's a company called uh, Amplify Education. Okay. I think they're out of business or something now because it was a failure. <laughs> but they made this whole, like, you know, they, they got bought by News Corp. They made this whole um, hugely expensive tablet-based curriculum. Uh, and a small part of that was making games. And the people running the games team were super smart. And instead of reaching out to, like, established game companies or whatever, they reached out to indies. You know, so we were a lot cheaper and we were a lot, like, quicker and savvier i think and like more innovative in the design space and so us and a bunch of other indie studios made educational games was this and after of, space cam just to put it in this, the yeah timeline, this was yeah. because of space cam. because of space, exactly, exactly yeah that's like, what i was thinking was like 2012 2013 okay we made a couple of them they're impossible to play now but <laughs> uh for the most part anyway so we um like they they're paying us to do this and so part of what they like paid us was in the form of I, I guess, like, they, they paid some guy, these two guys from this small consulting firm, uh, they paid for them to come out and give us, a like, a lecture, basically. It was, like, a two-day workshop, I guess you'd call it. And, like, people from Amplify came out and attended the workshop, too, so it wasn't just for our sake. But they, we did this workshop with these guys. They were from a consulting agency that basically, like, they'll go to a company like, like I guess, like, Warner Brothers and whoever designed, like, the Arkham Asylum games. Like, in order to make this game do better financially... Here's what you got to do. And it was pretty, I mean, it was a pretty ballsy premise that, like, that you can make a game just do better financially if you improve three key aspects of it, which are the um, uh, player autonomy, uh, okay. which is the ability for players to feel like they're making their own decisions, uh, player mastery, which is the ability for your players to feel like they're getting more powerful and better, and player relatedness, which is the ability for players to sort of have connect, meaningful connections or, or not meaningful connections, to feel like there are other human beings that are in their experience. Mm -hmm. and, and then they had some other stuff about, like, obviously, if people can't do the controls, they're not even going to get to the point where they feel autonomy. Uh, if the game is too hard, people are just going to, like, just check out immediately, right? And that, that explains why, like, they, they sort of, I don't know if they claim credit for it, but that's where, you know, Arkham Asylum is very good at, or those Batman games are very good at being not too difficult. That if you Absolutely. fail repeatedly, they just back off the difficulty to make it easier for you. And so you feel like you're getting better, but in reality, the game is just dialing down its expectations of you. <laughs> and so... Um, so they, you know, there's, there's all these, there's these things, right? And so they were, they were pitching these ideas for how you make a game better. And when you know this, and when you've spent a lot of time playing games and spent a lot of time designing games and you look out at the games that you can play, it's like, oh God, all of these are like grindy, like grindy grind fests, you know, where like they've, they too have discovered the fact that giving players lots of loot makes them feel autonomy and mastery and, um, I was I was talking to one of the guys at the workshop. I was like, well, how do you, like, increase the sense of mastery? Like, what if people, like... Oh, to me, of course, mastery is building up real skills. And I was getting Absolutely. really frustrated. And, like, sort of, like, the second... Like, not the main guy, but, like, the second guy who was helping to, like... I don't know. Like, it was the guy... There was, like, a, like a psychologist was, like, the main guy or something. Like, an academic guy. And then you had, like, this guy who had actually worked in the games industry who was, like, his, like, second person. Yeah. His, his tenant in, in this meeting or whatever. And he just sort of, like, levels with me. He's like, you just add role-playing... Like, add RPG mechanics. And we're just like, <laughs> oh, it makes sense. And I was getting kind of pissed off, I guess. That and, seems so crazy for, like, a, an educational game, though. That's, that's Surely that's against the whole point of it, you know? Well, I mean, 
that was and that was really the conflict that came up with educational with making educational games is that like we want them to be educational, but we also want them to be good games because we're competing for you know kids' attention time, like their free time. These games were not forced on them; they were supposed to be playing them on their own free will, and so they were competing with games like Subway Surfers and like like really like vapid like dumb app shit, you know. Yeah. And and so we're trying to compete with them, but like how far like. I used to think that like education and games could totally coexist, and you could have games where like they just it, like they're just built on the rules of the educational stuff, and they just are educational, but they're also like intrinsically interesting, and they're intrinsically educational. And like I was at a I was at a conference where some dude from like Full Sail University was talking about how like there's sort of a spectrum between like games and educational content, but like their idea of an educational game was a game that's an action game that pauses you at combat to ask you a math problem. And so, like, I actually, like, raised my hand up, like, you're wrong, like, you can have games that are, like, intrinsically educational, and they can be fun, and then, like, you're, yeah, I go design my own, like, you know, a year or two later, it's like, god damn, this is hard, like, I mean, that guy sucked, but, like, you know, like, it, they really are in conflict, because, game, like, it turns out that learning is hard, right? And, Absolutely. like, the more you're learning, the less of a fun time you're having because it's hard and it, like, hurts your brain and it, like, depletes, like, things physically in your brain or whatever. And, like, games don't do that. Like, you want games to go down nice and smooth, especially now when, like, we're figuring out how to make these games that, like, are really exciting and go down really smooth. And so, like, this is, yeah. So, to, guide, to tie back to the original point, this is why I can't play games anymore. Is because they're all like made up lies that just want to waste your time and get you to play for as long as possible, so you feel like you get your money's worth. And look, I just can't. I can't do it anymore. And <laughs> I, I sort of like slowly lost interest in it, and I felt really bad because like you know you're a game designer, you got to play games to know how to make games. Yeah. And like it just sort of slow. I just like no, I can't do it. I tried to lie to myself and be like, no, I still like games. And it's like, nope, nope, I don't like games anymore. <laughs> I well, love making games. I, in fact, it's, I think making games has only gotten more enjoyable. But just like playing most games that are out there, like sometimes I'll get like surprise hooked by something. But like, I, just, I don't know. There's so much more in life. Reading. I've gotten really into reading lately. It turns out there's all kinds of things you can put in a book that you can't make a game about. <laughs> like, I do. I genuinely think like I've been so bad with uh, reading, and it's not because of games. It was. It's actually because of. Um, podcasts like any time where i i would oh, usually yeah. have read a book in the past i now find myself listening to podcasts instead so i've made a very conscious effort over the last few months to try and read as much as i can and it's oh man it's the best like there's something so thoroughly kind of um it's, it feels ridiculous that i'm i'm having to like evangelize <laughs> reading but it's <laughs> so good like just the, yeah especially um like non-fiction because i'd never never read a lot of non-fiction because i'm a writer Same. i grew up reading books and stuff so it's only recently i've started doing that and to have like a good kind of 200 page book full of facts and information that you come <laughs> out of there it's a real cleansing experience compared to like yeah. the majority of how i you know get my information from things nowadays yeah i, I yeah and i think the game thing fits into that like things are the way that, the way that like information comes through society and that like the things that we do for fun it has changed like in the past 10 years and like phone games right like that phone games are such a major component of gaming like I, I was really against microtransactions when they started showing up like from like the like asian mmos and stuff yeah and i was really against it and then eventually like i kind of relented it's like oh i guess it's just how it works now and, you know it works now but then like at, like years after that it's like wait no these are really dumb like <laughs> 
<laughs> this this thing we have created that is like is like a huge part of gaming now. Like it's really dumb and like now I don't even consider phone games to be like in the same category of activity as like what we do, right? Like you can also say that slot machines are gaming and it's like sure, yeah, definitely they're games. You know what? They have nothing in common with what yeah. I do. I mean, basically, I feel like mobile games are the same kind of thing. They just have nothing in common with what we do. There's definitely been like there was a. I felt like there was a real kind of, almost like a golden age of mobile games when it first started. There was a good sort of three or four years where, like every month, there seemed to be some new, interesting, exciting, like mechanical yeah. way of playing. And then just, I don't remember the last time I downloaded a phone game really. Like in the last few months, mm-hmm. just, actually, that's not true. I downloaded Garagoa, and I really like that. That was mm. good. Yeah. But, but they're few and far between, whereas it used to be like constantly like new things popping up here and there. Um, oh, this is turning really cynical. Let's let's go back a little oh, bit. Oh yeah, no, I'm so cynical, man. No, no, like, that's, that's fine. That's good. <laughs> that's what we're here for. Um, I want to go back though because like there must have been clearly this, as you said, this has been like a slow burning process. So when you were younger and you first started getting into code, and you know you started, you must have made a choice at some point and think, I'd, I'd like to try this. I, I want to try and see if I can make games was there a particular type of game or game that you played that kind of made you want to pursue that or was it just a natural progression of your interest honestly like i i made lots of games that were nothing like the ones i played and to some degree that's still true like game design for me was always like a mechanical exercise and it never really connected i think this is like one of my weaknesses as a game designer is that like i would try designing like card games and board games like i was into magic you know yeah and so i would try designing my own card games but like i didn't know anything about magic and i think this is how a lot of kids who design stuff I've, I've tried to do design workshops with people who don't know and have any formal background in game design and like it's awful like they don't know anything and it's so funny <laughs> how like you could play you could play games your entire life and not really understand anything about how they how they work i was at this um <laughs> I was at a community college. I got invited to speak at a community college anime convention. <laughs> cool. And in like like super out of the way Washington State, <laughs> which is where I live, um, and less out of the way Washington State. And I went there, and it was like there's I did a, one of the things I did was like a game design workshop. And there's this famous game design workshop that I, I, I like to try to like recreate, which is where we say we're gonna we're gonna create a game just on paper, and what you're gonna do is take a game that you've played and then try to make a paper version of it oh that's fun and and like i i ran this workshop in college with freshmen that was actually how i met the guy that i who's like my main programmer now this is like my first when i I was like a year or two older than him and so he was a freshman and we gave this workshop and he was there and i don't even remember him being there but i think i'm pretty sure he was there (laughs) pretty sure he told me but like we we've done it with like you know these college freshmen and they did like a pretty good job right like i did it with these like these other kids and it was just like oh god like that's right like normal people who don't like aren't like focusing in on like video game development like they don't necessarily think about games like they don't think about like why their games work or how they work and and i i think that was that was very much like my game design experience as a kid like i don't think i really started learning about game design like when I was in college, I started making games, and that was when I started building like these weird, like programming technical games. But even then, like I still wasn't making connections back to like the games that I was actually playing. And I think that's like a hard leap. And like I really like, if you want to ask about, well, yeah, like when I was in like grade school, like that was really not the case. And so I was doing all these like weird little game design exercises that were pointless because nobody would ever want to play it, right? <laughs> it's like like technically, like I've seen tactics games and I know what they look like, but like if I try to make one. It's just going to be like a like a mechanical like almost like a 
like a cargo culting kind of thing, right? Yeah. Like if I have mechanics that look like this, then surely it'll play like that. And it's like, eh, no one ever played it. I never played it. It was really just a programming exercise. Um, so, so do you think that, that I'm, I, I'm just trying to kind of like pass it. Like, do you think that you were trying to make the games that you were playing and just find yourself kind of naturally go into these more mechanics-based things? Because as you mentioned earlier, like a lot of your, it feels like you just have a knack for this type of design, you know? So maybe it's just regardless of what you're attempting to do you kind of always end up kind of drifting towards this more kind of puzzle mechanics based mechanic the puzzle game thing took a while to come up with um i've made a lot of games that aren't puzzle games i think one of the the key things about all the games i make is that like a lot of them don't have analogs right like even like infiniminer like i was kind of trying to copy like tf2 like a little bit for the parts that didn't even work in it but like overall like it was just this weird idea that i had and like all of the like especially like the puzzle games that I make are not, they're not based on other games. They're just sort of like the, when I make a game, it's like, I think of an idea for it. And like, I love the idea of it so much that I just want to see it like be done. Yeah. And that's, that's really how I make games. And so it's like, it took, it took years. I mean, it took me like 10 years to like hone this into something useful. Like a lot of the time I would be making games, it's like, oh, I've got this idea for this game. And it's just like, oh, cool, that's garbage. <laughs> right? like, <laughs> like I could not predict what it was going to be like. I wasn't even trying to make it fun. And it's only been like, we, we, I've made so many games now. It's only been through doing it over and over and over and over again and actually getting like people to look at and play like the more recent, you know, like 10 or so games that, was able to like close that feedback loop and start making stuff that's like actually good but even now i mean like honestly like i like i could never get a job at blizzard as like a game designer <laughs> i wouldn't want to like i don't really i like, do, not i, I, I don't like, get i don't know like i don't make i don't design games i design things that like you can kind of pretend are games or you know that that'll pass for games but yeah. like I don't like sit down and say like, okay, I'm gonna make a game. Like, I, don't, I mean, no, I guess it, I do. That's literally the only thing I do. True, yeah. I just, I mean, I, I, I appreciate that. I am totally like, I'm grasping for this, you know, like because there are generally because games, I guess, are so iterative. You know, like you can almost always find an analog or, or some sign of inspiration. Like, like Infiniminer is a perfect example. You know, it inspired Minecraft with a bunch of other games. Like, but. To say that your games just pop up out of thin air, there must have been something that kind of you thought, oh, this is interesting. This is, I mean, I can't think of one, which is why I'm so interested in it. Like, <laughs> that it just pops stuff out that, of thin air almost. There's stuff that went into like Infiniminer, right? Like, there's a, there's a game Motherload that got remade years later. It was like a Flash game, got remade as Super Motherload, which is like a proper indie game. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously TF2 for like the team based you know, combat kind of thing. Like, there were there were mechanical inspirations that went into these games. Um, but, like, for Infinite, Infinite Minor, it was a garbage game, right? The only, the part <laughs> that stood the test of time was the part that, like, me and, you know, Keith, the programmer that I keep talking about, like, we had, we just sort of, we, we and some other people would hang out, like, on the weekends and on Friday nights in college, and, like, we just kind of, like, think about game ideas and make terrible games. And, like, the idea of this, like, world where you build blocks that are, like, life-sized, you know, like, that was just a thing that came out of that. Yeah, but like that just came out of nowhere, right? Like that, that that didn't like that, that. I mean, I guess that's what makes it so cool, and that's what made it like an original thing. Is like, I mean, other people sort of had independently invented stuff like that, but like for us, it was also like in- completely independent. Yeah, I mean, just, uh, particularly for um, like Space Cam for me is is such a a sort of pivotal game for me because because like I had played nothing like it before, and it wasn't mm-hmm. so, I was 
de- I was adamant that I wasn't going to enjoy that. Like this, that is not for me. That is not <laughs> my type of game. Made it a tough sell, yeah. But it's it's so good. Like the, the, yeah. it's rarely the the games like offer that level of satisfaction. And to sort of think that it just kind of came out of nowhere. Like I don't yeah. know. Like did you watch okay, a lot can... of um, uh, how how does this get made? You know, like a lot of oh, kind of factory okay, videos and stuff okay. like that. So there. So obviously, Space Game wasn't my first game like that. No, right? no, no. So, so one of the inspirations for Space Cam, like the most direct inspiration for Space Cam, um, that was outside of my stuff, was a like an esoteric programming challenge, where uh, I think somebody, my friend Keith, was describing it to me, and I, I misunderstood it. Maybe I, what I thought he was describing was a system where, like, every so, like in, in, in a computer, like all the code is stored in memory, and uh, the way I thought he was explaining it was that like every look, every location of code also has like a like an, like a corresponding memory location for storing data okay or something and like that was basically like that doesn't and you were you were programming like a fake satellite or something and it was like a fake architecture and like so my misunderstanding of that led to spacecam where an instru- like a, a grid square in spacecam can store both uh, an instruction for either color uh, in addition to an atom and so like the data you are the data you are operating on occupies the same physical space as the where your program is and this is a very uncommon thing for computers and i think this is actually what leads to space cam being very like kind of just strange from like a, yeah. a program standpoint and like so that's that's sort of an inspiration for that but obviously that's does not directly that's not a game right and that doesn't take you directly to space cam um I made a bunch of games when I was in college that were all like the predecessors, and that was just me trying to do stuff that I thought was cool, and not even like I was just giving these games away for free. I had seen people who had these like these websites that were just like filled with projects that they just did, and they're just like, here's a project I made, here's a project I made, and there was like a huge list of them, and I was really impressed, not by the quality of them, but just by the quantity. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, these people have made so many cool things. I too want to have a website where I have just made tons of cool things. And so I just started churning out anything I could think of that was like project-like. And and I think to some degree this gave me like my my love of shipping stuff, right? Which I think a lot of game designers, you know, a lot of people who make stuff have a hard time with shipping. But for me, like having this focus on like it doesn't matter what it is, I just got to get it out there because I want another item on my web page. And, and that sort of led to, to shipping stuff. And so I made a bunch of really weird games in, following in that, that process. And one of them was a game called Manufactoid. And that was based on, um, that was based on very much like when, like so my, my now wife, but like my, my girlfriend at the time, we would make dinner in like the shared kitchen and there was a TV in there and it was around the same time that How It's Made was on. And so like I watched so much How It's Made just like waiting for our food to cook and <laughs> And I was like, man, this is so cool. I'd never seen how it's made before. I was like, I want to make a game version of this where you're designing factories. And so that was Manufactoid, which was like the worst game I've ever made. It was so bad. Like you, It was like Infinifactory, but 2D and top-down. And you had to program Lua to like get all the parts to interact with each other. And usually it was just like really simple glue logic. So it was really needless like to have it be driven by Lua, but it was. And... Um, and it was really bad. And actually, the Codex, which is the game that Opus Magnum is based on, the Codex was an attempt to, uh, like a couple of years later, create a game like Manufactory that didn't require you to write any code whatsoever. Yeah. And, and, and uh, the, I, I love that how it's made um, has such an impact on it because that, that is one of the, the big thrills um, uh, yeah. so, uh, of the, is when you have something that works and then just to watch it run is, oh, man, it's the best. It's, when we did it in a factory, so I, 
I went back and binge watched like a ton of how it's made, like a couple of seasons, just to like get an idea. Like, what are these machines actually doing? They're pushing things. They're attaching things together. They're letting things just kind of push other things into a, the right position to be picked up by another mechanism. So all of those things came from binge watching like, a bunch <laughs> of how it's made. Um, that, that, is, that is especially true, actually, for Opus Magnum because um, it's it's really beautiful. Like the the the, the design of it and the, the the sound design of it, it's so satisfying you know there's a real kind of clunk sort of chick and you get a really good mm-hmm. rhythm sometimes going it's just it's yeah so immensely I, I, satisfying i i can claim zero credit for the sound design our the, the guy who does our music and does our writing also does our sound design and for for opus magnum he downloaded like he we, he's like he makes me buy all these sound packs all the time for him <laughs> he's like i need the credit card i want to buy the sound pack i'm just like okay so we bought the sound pack of like this old like german letterpress machine with all these like ka-chunk, ka-chunk noises and i was like okay this seems a little extreme but like it totally worked and so like yeah you're actually hearing like an like an antique german letterpress oh that's so good you should do you should do a, a series of how it's made for like opus magnum designs just have to have that get that guy to do the voiceover for it of like massive <laughs> elaborate machines that the community has created and i would i would totally watch that um i'm gonna take <coughs> oh excuse me I'm going to take a brief aside. I'm looking forward to this, Zach, uh, for some relatively quick-fire questions. Oh, God. I did some of these with, like, RPS, and they were all, like, my answers were miserable. I feel like I just really disappointed the guy. So no, 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 this is, this is fine. No, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun, and it's, it's yeah. fine. So, uh, Zach, if you had to play a game with death for your own mortal soul, what game are you best at? Oh, God. Um... You can choose your own if you want. I'm trying to. Th- uh, no, I'm. I'm. I just give up. I don't know. I'm so lousy at games. I. I mean, I can't. There's nothing I'm really good at. Um, that's so fine. Tough, this is why I can't do quick fire questions because I actually have to think. I mean, like that's like a that's a, like a really deep question, right? Like, what is being good at a game? Right? Like, what? Like, oh, you're thinking about it way more than honestly, I was thinking about it. Most most games aren't even about skill anymore, right? Like, are you gonna play like 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 Stardew Valley like against like <laughs> for your soul? Like, I, I don't know if that's possible. Like, I don't I don't know what that means. So many games aren't even about difficulty. Like, if it's an optimization challenge in Opus Magnum, like, I ew, yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, Stardew Valley is probably good because that I mean you can essentially play that forever. You probably get bored yeah. of it after a while, but still, you know, if you if you want to reprieve, you can just play that yeah. for as long as you'd like. I'm trying to think of like a proper competitive game that I'm good at, but the problem I'm I'm bad at a lot of them. I, so my strategy in life is not one about like being strategic. My advantage is in moving first before anybody else has any idea what's going on, and that's <laughs> that's where I excel. I excel in like the first 15 minutes of anything. And and then just rapidly decline from there as I lose interest in strategic vision. Like, are you so, a particularly competitive player at all? Like, have you ever been locked in a high I, score battle with someone? Or no, I'm not good enough, but I'm very competitive. I think that's why I hate board games. Is that I'm so competitive <laughs> that like I, I do not. We oh we play so we play this card game Nerds, which is like real time multiplayer solitaire. We play it okay, every day fun. at lunch. We play a game of it, and like I, I I'm okay at that. Uh, I win I win often ish. But I, so I guess that would be, oh, okay, that's it, that's it. I could probably, I would play, I would play Death in a game of Nerds. It's not good as two-player game, though. You know, it's, it's really luck-based, so maybe that's a bad, a bad call. Oh, well, if you're going to, if you're going to gamble yeah. with it, you may as well just go for a bit of luck. <laughs> Fuck it, yeah, Nerds, okay. Yeah. Um, 
if you are prone to such things, Zach, uh, what was your worst rage quit? Oh, I, I, my, I can tell you my most recent rage quit. Okay. I was, I was playing Mega Man Battle Network three for the, <laughs> the Game Boy SP for research purposes, <laughs> and that game is awful. Uh, like, it's got so many cool ideas, but it's like kind of like an old school. It's from like two thousand two, and so it's got a bunch of like RPG RPG conventions where they're just like, we need you to go find this thing, and like they don't tell you where it is, so you can like wander around <laughs> for like an hour while getting stuck in all the random battles that happen, or you can just look up a game fact and just go there. <sighs> like it's just. Like, it, it's got some good design, but it's got some bad design that seriously got in my way. And eventually, like, this, I was doing this instead of reading. And so eventually I was just like, you know what? I'm giving up. I'm throwing in. <laughs> I mean, I was kind of pissed off, I guess, because it's like I, I was invested in it, right? And now I yeah. have to stop. It's like, oh, this is what it feels like to have a game be like, <laughs> please stop <laughs> playing. Please stop playing me now. Um, if uh, ha- Has a game kind of ever consumed your life to the point where it became a hindrance and you had to, like, uninstall it or get rid of it? Oh, I would say no, but kind of yes. We like me and my friends were like really into Heroes of the Storm, just oh, okay. like Blizzard's like MOBA kind of thing. It's it's a lot more casual than like a Dota or a League of Legends or whatever. And and we would just like play like a game or two every night for like a year, and we had a lot of fun for a long time. But then like what like at some point something flipped and like like a switch flipped and like everybody started getting like kind of serious and bummed out. And like there's like the matchmaking ensures there's like a 50-50 chance you're going to lose, right? Like there's so many people that are so much better than us. And it's just like every time we lost, it was just like I found myself feeling really bad. And one of the things I've been working on like as an individual like for the past couple of years is trying to like pay attention when I'm doing things that I don't like or that don't make me happy, but I'm doing it compulsively because everything in 2018 is compulsive. Yeah. <laughs> and and I realized, I'm just like, this game is not making me happy, and so I uninstalled it. And and every I, I, we've tried playing it a couple, like, for a game here and there. So we'll, like, reinstall it, play a game. I'll be like, nope, I remember why I uninstalled this, and then I'll <laughs> uninstall it. And, like, prior to that, I never really, like, I, I, I loved World of Warcraft back in the day, but, like, I never got addicted to it. Yeah. You know, I never felt the need to uninstall it. But this is the first time that I've actually, like, uninstalled a game to, like, stop myself from doing something I didn't want to be doing. I guess it's kind of weird when I put it that way, but not uncommon. Not <laughs> no, uncommon. no, it's not uncommon. It, it, it's a weird one. Like I had a very similar thing with, um, well, not similar, but I, I played a lot of Destiny and Overwatch mm-hmm. actually, but primarily just as a way to kind of hang out with with my friends and catch up mm-hmm. with people and stuff. Um, and like both of those now have kind of like Overwatch became a bit too competitive, and Destiny <laughs> just got a bit rubbish. Um, but now I'm kind of I, I miss that kind of that that yeah. game as social function you know I'm, I'm hoping that something else will come to replace that um but it's tricky because 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 they're games obviously so that if you're playing with a bunch of people who like games it, it can get to a point where it becomes a bit more like no we've got to beat this now what's the strategy you're gonna be here we've got to do, do the <laughs> mm-hmm. raid and yeah there's mm-hmm. some bad times um i think that's why it's important to be able to let go of things absolutely <laughs> Uh, do you have uh, like a, a chicken soup game, a game that you go to for, for comfort or just to relax? No. <laughs> Fair enough. Definitely um, not. <laughs> I, I take that back. I, I mean, like when I'm bored, like I like I like solitaire. I've sort of played all the solitaire games I have like too much, but I, I do. I, I kind of like that's like a good diversion game, solitaire. Yeah, like a kind of palate cleanser between yeah, things, you know. I don't know. That's I've, I've like I like making them now, right? Like Shinjinio has like a, a solitaire game slipped in. Uh, Opus Magnum has a solitaire game slipped in. I, I kind of want to just keep doing that for the foreseeable future. So I guess that's kind of like an answer to your question. That's kind of like that. Yeah, no, that, that's that's that, that's <laughs> one of the sort of prototypical kind of uh, 
chicken soup games i think like, i think i like my mum who doesn't really play games she plays a lot of solitaire that's her kind of relaxation game um it, given the kind of the the kind of breadth of potential emotions video games are able to to convey uh, laughter is still one of the rarest so i always try and ask everybody uh, zach what games have made you laugh oh well we've been playing the most recent one we played some construction simulator okay with, uh, with two of my friends and that game it's compelling but it also sucks like really hard and there but there have been some situations where like you know it's a physics simulator so like it breaks and like normally i'd be like oh that's like the lowest that's like the fart joke of video games it's <laughs> like a, like a physics simulator breaking but like man like we were like it's funny because like you're trying to do something with purpose and then like all of a sudden like you've gotten like a huge truck completely stuck on a light post and it's just like okay you you really fuck that one up jared <laughs> and and it's and it's it's kind of funny <laughs> It was it was pretty funny. It was unexpectedly funny, and and I had a good time with that. Obviously, like there's a lot of Valve stuff that's really like well written and funny. Like Portal Two was pretty funny. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, like, it, I don't really, yeah. Not playing a lot of games kind of hurts here. <laughs> no, I, I don't think so because they like there are generally like this is one of the reasons I ask it to everybody is because there there are so few games um, because outside of stuff like like physics puzzles or things not physics puzzles like things breaking essentially or like multiplayer yeah. shenanigans i think it's really hard for a game to sort of properly make you laugh um, i think art games are really funny but they're in like a really subtle dry way like we have we have a really weird sense of humor here but like like shinjin io has some like stuff that i think is hilarious in it <laughs> like cool dad we've got this musician his name is cool dad and i just thought this was like the funniest thing and like i don't think that many people think cool dad is funny but i i still think it's like the best now there's, there's definitely some really good writing cool in, the, in the <laughs> in the games. Opus Magnum, in particular, like I'm, I'm not that far through. I think I'm on the second uh, set of challenges. But there's some, you know, the, the, it's it has a kind of a, a lightness to it. I think that that's really yeah. complements the well, kind of some, the world of it. You know, and there's some funny stuff like the stamina potion. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Everybody loves the stamina potion. <laughs> Um, and uh, Infinity Factory as well. Like, even though I've not played that, oh, yeah. like the the videos of that and the the things spiraling out of control are, are amazing. Like, yeah, because because the it's the I, I think that kind of that that's not the fart joke of video games, as you put it. Because uh, there's an element of that where it's it's the unexpected nature of it. It's that you, you yeah. think it's going to be exactly like this, and then suddenly it's just insane. Um, that that and the comedy comes from this. Just like, oh my god, what what just happened? Yeah. And it's good. I think it's better than like a, a physics glitch because like it's your fault. Exactly. When, like, yeah. Like, exactly. The simulator in Infinite Factory is it works pretty go pretty okay, you know. And like there are funny corner cases of it, but most of the times when you fuck up in Infinite Factory, it's like, oh, I did not see that coming. <laughs> They're pretty funny. Um, I'm I'm curious. Like usually now when I kind of in trying to kind of close out an episode, I'll ask people if they're if they're still excited about games or looking forward to the future. But I think you've categorically answered that question. Like, do you? I mean, as much as like there's an obvious kind of um, uh, loss of interest over the years, are you still kind of? Do you want to be pulled back in? Do you are you do you wish there were more kind of experiences that you could get a lot out of? Uh, not really, honestly. Like I, I think I don't know. Games are kind. Of, games we're doing lots of new stuff in games, but at the same time, games are kind of stagnant, right? Look at how many games, how many successful games. What percentage of the games industry? revenue is is from like games that are just about murdering people 
right? Like, it turns out that games are actually super narrow at the same time of being broad, right? Like, you get a lot of interesting stuff with indie games, but at the same time, you don't. Like, all the games that do really well have, like, a lot of the same mechanics. Like, there's, there's mechanics that do really well because they're just really enjoyable. And I think games are, you know, primarily, like, they're, they're entertainment. Like, they're about just feeling good. They're, they're, you know, especially now. I mean, we're in, like, a very, like, hedonistic times, I think. And that a lot of these, these systems we design, the ones that, like, sort of evolutionarily float to the top are all, like, very hedonistically, like, viable. Yeah. You know, they're just about enjoying yourself without thinking about it, really. And... I, I think that as as I've gotten older, that just doesn't hold any value for me. Like younger people feel like pleasure more strongly, right? And they feel like like winning more strongly. And I, I mean, just, I think part of it's just getting older. That just like I don't I don't respond to that anymore. And like I don't and and now fortunately I don't feel bad about not responding to that anymore. And so maybe I don't I maybe I care less about games as a whole and as a medium, but I think that I am increasingly more excited about the games that we're making. Because I think that we're, like, we're doing, I, you know, we're we're doing things that I think are interesting. Um, I we're doing things that I, I want to be meaningful. Uh, we're getting to express all these new ideas and like find like you know we're we're getting to explore stuff we're interested in. Yeah. And I think it's I think it's really cool. I mean I, that's that's been my favorite part of all these games lately. Like, we got to make an entire game about like the culture that makes electronics in Shenzhen now in China, <laughs> right? Like I've never been to China, but I feel like. We did a bunch of research. We interviewed a bunch of people. Like, I got to vicariously, like, live a little bit of that. And admittedly, it was more of, like, a, an imagined version of it than a real version. But I think that's, you know, so many things in life are, are the imagined version and not the real version. And I think that, like, just getting to, to live that vicariously and, and spending, like, six months making this game, it's, like, it's great. Like, yeah. it's really it's really cool. And the same thing with the game we're working on now, which I'm not going to tell you anything about. Like, I'm super jazzed about getting to work on it. It's, <laughs> like, I, I'm getting to explore, like, this part of me that I haven't gotten to, like, think about in a long time and, like, making these cool puzzles and seeing, like, everybody here making all this really great stuff. We're all, like, super talented, and it's really cool watching that all come together and getting to live in that space. Like, it's by far the most exciting thing going on in my life. Oh man, that sounds so good. Uh, just the on the the tip of like the the Shenzhen IO thing, that that's the that comes with like a full package, doesn't it? Like the full manual and letters and stuff. It's yeah, a very physical yeah, thing. That that definitely like harkens back edition. to your love of the little you know the objects and you know play sets essentially absolutely yeah the deluxe we did a thousand copies of a binder that had all this physical stuff inserted into it and like the game has a manual that you had you need to look at and if you pick up the game now you just have to sort of print and assemble your own and like we try to make it so you can assemble your own but like obviously when we did professional printing we could do a lot better and and so we made like our next game i don't know if we do another game with a manual um i want to get that out to as many people as possible I'll, 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 I won't press yeah. you for more for more answers. <laughs> um, Zach, that was that was super fun. Um, I, I really enjoyed that. Um, if uh, there's anything that kind of hasn't come up that you wanted to mention, please feel free to do that now, or just let people know where they can find your video games or you on the internet if you like people to find yeah. you. The best thing to do is to check out Opus Magnum because not only is it our most recent game and the one that most people are playing right now, uh, but it's the most accessible. It's definitely like like Zectronics games are, are daunting. I understand that, and Opus Magnum is sort of incidentally a really great starting place, um, and it's on Steam, and you can get it now. And then if you like Opus Magnum, or if you want something harder, we have like uh, a bunch of other games that are kind of like it, of varying degrees of how much they're actually about computers or not. Um, those are you can find those on Steam or Zectronics.com. We also have a, a tactics, a card-based tactics game that is nothing like the rest of our games. <laughs> 
that is not nearly as popular as the rest of our games, but if you like card-based tactics games that are weird and completely different from everything else out there, you can check that out. <laughs> Do you have like a, a kind of a special love for that because it hasn't been as popular as the other games? Oh, yes and no. I mean, all of we, we learned we learned a lot from that game. I think we learned some good lessons. Uh, of stuff that we should never do again. I think we overlearned some things and learned that we shouldn't do some things again that maybe it actually is okay to do again. Okay. Um, it was that was like a really demoralizing project. <laughs> uh, but I think it's been we've had enough distance now that like it's it's important to have stuff like that. Like that was the game. Like the the the, the disappointing launch of Ironclad Tactics is what started and launched off contemporary Zactronics, which I think is far more prolific. That was what like really like, lit a fire under our asses to just make. We can't spend two years making a game. Yeah. We have to make games faster because we don't know what's going to be successful or not. And I think that really like put us in this position. Like I think we're in a pretty strong position as an indie studio now. Um, and that's that's what set us there. So and it's like it's a weird it's a weird cool game. Like it's I don't, I don't know. That's game designers a- love it. That's the funny thing. All my game designer friends are like, "Oh yeah, that was a really cool game." And it's like only game designers will love that game. So it's so like it's systems. That's it's, a box it, right it's, there. It, it's it's kind of like the games I was telling you about from when I was younger, which is that like it's a mechanical exercise that like was done with like zero foresight for like what will this product actually be when it's done? Will anybody want this? It's like who cares? I don't know what people want, but I know what I want to design. Yeah. And that was Ironclad Tactics. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Um, well, yeah, that's. I'm 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 thrilled with that. Zach, was that okay for you in the end? <laughs> yeah, that was great. Good. <laughs>